Introducing the two-way V4, where groundbreaking fuel cell technology meets fresh foam cushioning for the ultimate performance. With fuel cell, each step feels explosive, delivering unparalleled energy return. Paired with fresh foam, experience maximum comfort throughout the game. Its lightweight textile upper offers support and breathability without sacrificing agility. Whether you're hitting the clutch shot or locking down the opposition, the two-way V4 gives you the tools to play at a high level. Learn more and purchase the two-way for yourself at newbalance.com. It is midday Thursday, January the 16th, 2020. Time for another edition of T-Watts and TR here on the Built by Bama Online podcast. Travis Ryer, senior analyst alongside BOL site publisher, Tim Watts. And Tim, as we bring you in on this Thursday, the city of Tuscaloosa still a buzz following the Crimson Tide's Big win over the Auburn Tigers last night on the basketball court at Coleman Coliseum. Alabama 83, fourth ranked and previously unbeaten Auburn 64. How about that for a defining win for first year head coach Nate Oates, Tim? Yeah, I mean, it was just a super impressive win. And I'm, you know, I'm a huge Bruce Pearl fan. Uh, Love the way he coaches, thinks he knows how to coach, thinks he knows how to motivate and to get the most out of his players that's a talented group that he brought into into tuscaloosa and to win in a game they pretty much dominated i mean i know it got you know got close at times but uh that was pretty much alabama's game from the start to the finish and uh just a complete game i mean the excitement you know there's a lot of people excited about this obviously beating auburn at any time is uh is really important to Alabama fans, but a team as good as Auburn, number four ranked team in the country, and they are legitimately a good team. Uh, just a huge win and such a big game by, you know, Lewis. You know, we sort of seen him have some ups and downs, but he just to come up so big and, and that atmosphere. I mean, you saw, uh, you know, the Alabama nation screaming basketball and what in theory should be still in the middle of discussing football. Yeah, a sellout crowd at Coleman Coliseum last night. And you said it. That was a wire-to-wire job against a top-five team last night. Alabama never trailed in the game. Game was never even tied. Uh, so to go the full 40 minutes and get the job done. And, and here's the thing. I didn't think Alabama played particularly well. Now, Auburn's going to tell you 21 turnovers. Uh, Auburn shot 56, 57% from the free throw line. So this is, I agree, this is a really, really good Auburn team. That wasn't a really, really good Auburn team last night. And that probably heightened the importance, the need to get the job done if you're Alabama. Because you know when you go to Auburn Arena coming up here down the road, this Auburn team isn't going to be as accommodating uh, as it was last night at Coleman Coliseum. You're going to get a better Auburn the next time around if you're Nate Oates. Yeah, and you know basketball. Basketball is such an emotional deal. I mean, it's hard to win uh, 15 games in a row. It's really hard to win. And, you know, you see it takes a team. A lot of times it takes a, a good team, takes a loss to push them back to what made them 15-0 and 0 to begin with. Obviously, that was a uh, that was Alabama Super Bowl, so to speak. I mean, it was their Final Four, the fans, the, the, uh, the players, you know, everything there was for it. And definitely – down the road, I mean, this is going to wake up the eyes to Alabama everywhere. But Alabama, if you watch them, I mean, Bruce Pearl was very, very uh, flattering. He had some great things. You know, he, he mentioned the fact Alabama six and three in their last nine and could easily be nine and zero. Oh. Nate Oates can coach. 
I mean, I was yeah. get I was getting text messages. You know, I used to be the the national editor for basketball, so my my basketball runs deep in me, and uh, I was getting texts from from people that I've known for years talking about how great of a coach he was and pointing out the small things he did during the game and the plays he ran, just little things. And um, of course, it was you know probably their first chance of really seeing this Alabama team as far as national guys outside of the southeastern go. But I mean, they were watching it because it was you know against a really good ranked team. But Nate Oates has a ton of respect from his peers. And um, this certainly is going to help him down the road. Got to help with recruiting, too, um, when you're able to to do something like that on a big stage. Now, I mean, obviously, consistency, uh, the big thing that uh, Nate Oates is, is looking to to implement and, and become more a part of the culture. You know, I think Saturday's game will be telling in that regard. You're coming off this huge win over Auburn. You've got a very mediocre to subpar Missouri team now coming to Coleman Coliseum. How do you handle this win if you're Alabama? Do you go out on Saturday and take care of business like you should? You get yourself to three and two in the league. Um, I'm sure that's something that uh, that Nate Oates will be preaching to his team. But here's the thing, you know, you got a first year coach, but you don't have a lot of first year players in terms of freshman now Jaden Shackelford's obviously been huge and he actually started the game last night but Herb Jones has been around now I've been around for a couple years now John Petty has been around even Alex Reese some of these guys I think it was actually a pretty nice situation that Oates inherited not only in terms of style of play but he's got some guys that have been through the war so from a maturity standpoint Tim got to think this team should be able to handle this win in the right perspective. Yeah, I mean, I think they know they're a team that has to fight hard in every game. Uh, obviously, there's a you know there's that letdown game in, in any sport, and basketball is no different. You go from the high they felt for a you know for a uh, Wednesday night crowd, you know you know probably not going to be the same atmosphere uh, for the Missouri game. But I mean, I think this is a team that knows it has to fight every game. I mean, they've got you know with the schedule they've had, they've had to fight. Every team's been a good team. Um, seemingly every game has been a pretty pretty closely contested game. So I think he'll do fine motivating them. But then again, you know, you never really know. I think the maturity helps. But you, you can tell, you know, once you beat Auburn, if you beat a top five team, you know, sometimes it's harder to tell a team, hey, Missouri's dangerous, Missouri's dangerous, you know, and have the kids believe it. You know, you we've seen that like in football where, sure. you, hey, that's a dangerous team, that's a dangerous team. Those kids are laughing. Then it's 17 nothing, three minutes left in the first quarter, and they're like, coach, you right, what do we do? You know, it's so I think Nate's going to have more success keeping these guys motivated this week, though. And it goes back to the football analogy of what makes Alabama's incredible stretch under Nick Saban against unranked opponents. You know, and the the win streak that the 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 stat that that under Nick Saban probably gets overlooked the most is that the teams Alabama is supposed to beat over the last decade or so. Uh, they have absolutely done that on the football field. A uh, little, little different in hoops, but um, yeah, that'll be an interesting dynamic to keep an eye on with the Missouri Tigers coming to Tuscaloosa this weekend. Still plenty of football stuff to get to, Tim, uh, on the heels of Monday night's national championship game. Uh, we previewed that game on Monday. You liked LSU to win by a sizable margin. That's exactly what happened. I liked LSU to win. I thought the game would be closer, and really it was a competitive game 
into the fourth quarter on Monday night. Uh, but it kind of speaks to here in the last couple of days, right? LSU getting a taste of what Alabama has experienced over the last 10 or 12 years in that, man, right after the elation, the nirvana that is winning a national championship, that come down, that sort of hangover that shows up in the form of underclassmen declaring for the NFL draft, maybe one of your top assistant coaches making a jump to another job elsewhere, getting promoted to the head coaching level. Uh, LSU, Tim, I guess, getting a, a, a good understanding of what that's all about. You know, and the thing, you know, with LSU, you're right, because, you know, they were up all night partying, you know, celebrating in New Orleans, obviously a great win and everything. And they didn't even get their second nap in when they got back home before Joe Brady was gone. I mean, it was it was less than 24 hours in my, you know. They didn't even get Crystal Burgers after the late night out. They They hadn't even had Crystals yet, Tim, I got a feeling some people woke up to Joe gone, you know, didn't get a chance to say bye. Um, it, you know, it happened so fast, but I mean, there was a lot of talk, but I think the fans were pretty excited with that extension, but you and I discussed that extension or that agreement yeah. they came to meant nothing. It wasn't stopping him. There was nothing in there to stop him from going, um, anywhere else. So yeah, they did that. Then they turned around and you got the juniors. Uh, I think they lost seven guys yesterday, you know, and they're expecting to lose a lot. They were expecting guys. I didn't expect to leave, uh, are definitely leaving. They're still waiting on a few now. So yeah, I mean, they, They've lost some talent. I mean, they've they went through. It's been a lot. It's been an action-packed 40, 72, 48, 72 hours between Odell Beckham and the Monopoly money that wasn't to, uh, you know, I don't know how the dude got in the locker room, to be honest. I mean, you know, it's my understanding is like the Honey Badger. He's one of the biggest alumnus donors around. Mm-hmm. Um, so it made sense for him to be. But Odell was obviously there for Odell and not really for LSU and um just an odd situation, but again, LSU. I mean, they were a great team. Um, I won't say they were a you know a team of destiny or anything like that because they were a super talented team. But everything just fell their way this year. They were super, they were the most talented team in the country. Um, you know, Alabama was right there with talent, but they were a talented team in the country. They played the hot hand. They made the plays every time they needed to. Uh, I said this, and I, we discussed it before. I think there's only one team in the country that could have beat, beat LSU, and that was a healthy Alabama team. I don't think anybody else was going to beat them. I know Auburn played them close 23-20, to 20, but if Auburn and LSU played 10 times this year, I think LSU is going to win all 10 of those games. As good as Auburn's defense was, I just don't think they could score enough to win. So uh, hats off to them. They should enjoy it. They got like 17 hours to enjoy it, and they're still partying out there, and they're, you know – they're dealing with what the rest of us deal with in the big boy world. No doubt about it. Uh, the best team in college football won the national championship. And uh, injury luck, as we've talked about here on the podcast, has a lot to do with that. And when you look at really the top three teams at the end of the year, uh, LSU, uh, Clemson, Ohio State, they were, for the most part, whole still when they got to the college football playoff and into the college football playoff national championship game. And yeah, that whole thing about underclassmen, it's like that uh, slap in the face that, that, that sort of wakes you up in that, you know, a lot of fans I'm sure for LSU, well, they expected Justin Jefferson to go ahead and go probably even Clyde Edwards LR to go ahead and go Grant Delpit guys like that you anticipate, but it's the Patrick Queens the Lloyd Cushenberry's, you know, some of these guys that you know, you're thinking, oh, well, we're going to have them back 
and then they make that jump, sort of like what happened to Alabama uh, after the 2018 season with well, Matt Queen, Wilson. I, yeah, I, I think with Queen, it's almost like uh, Antonio McDice that year in the NCAA tournament. I think there was well, nobody I, really talking about him leaving. Uh, really good football player. He just had a great. I mean, he was he was great against Clemson, and uh, Clemson was a really good team. You know, going back to that, they were they were competitive, and they they had more three and outs against LSU than anybody I saw probably. So definitely a competitive team. And but I mean, he did so many little things. Just like he was the guy that was defending that pass out of the backfield. He was the guy Straight taking thing. that check down away, and that was huge. I mean, the guy just blew up. So you're right. They had guys you expect to lose. You know, like like you said, and then when you lose a Mac Wilson, you lose a Savion Smith, even though we knew Savion Dante Thompson. Right. Yeah. You're losing those guys that aren't, you know, first or second round picks. These are guys that are going to go later or, you know, in Savion's case, maybe not at all. So those are the guys that hurt you a little bit. I will say for the most part, I sort of see where the LSU kids are coming from. Randy Moss's son is supposedly going pro. If he does, I get it because they, they're bringing in a freak five star tight end. Eric Gilbert that's going to, you know, take some carries away. And also, if you're a receiver, Joe Burrow's gone. You can't really improve your stock. So you might as, you know, might as well catch it in while you can. Yeah, if a guy like Jamar Chase could come out this year, Tim. Oh, yeah. He's gone. I mean, you, you think he's excited about coming back to team up with Miles Brennan? And I know you can say, well, look at Mac Jones. Mac Jones and Miles Brennan came out in the same class. Miles Brennan was actually the higher ranked prospect of those two but bottom line is we've seen mac jones light it up on some big stages uh to this point we haven't really seen that from miles brennan right you know miles is going to be a little bit i mean compared to what joe had he's going to have a hand tied behind his back i mean he's losing at three three offensive linemen at least you know assuming everybody comes out that they uh expect to come out he's losing at at least three offensive uh, linemen uh, possibly losing Moss, losing two or three wide receivers, and that running back. My goodness, that kid. And that, Joe Brady. Yeah. That, yes, and Joe Brady. So that you know, it's it's going to be hard for Miles to step in, and you know, like Max walking in, he's still got a ton of talent. He's mm-hmm. still got a ton of ton of the talent that Tua got to play for, and you know, Brennan here, assuming it's Brennan or not a transfer, he's going to be a little bit, you know, you know, got that bullseye, you got that letdown, you lost a lot of talent. So yeah, he's walking into a little bit of a buzzsaw. Yeah, if I'm Miles Brennan, the soundtrack going in my head right now, too, is uh, Mind Playing Tricks on Me by yeah. Ghetto Boys. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, that's uh, yeah. At night, I can't sleep. I toss and turn, you know, because mm-hmm. he's, yeah. he's got to be thinking he's got to be thinking over his shoulder a little bit, you know, with that grad transfer portal uh, being what it is. And look, Mac Jones right here in Tuscaloosa, he's going to have plenty of competition himself, but at least Mac knows where it's coming from right now yeah, Matt I mean, you, Jones I, wakes up today he knows where his competition's coming from in March and April no there's no doubt about it I mean Miles you know it's a completely different situation um you know and Matt's been in that locker room for a while and I know Miles have but man you're replacing Joe Burrow who is going to go down as the most popular athlete in you know LSU history I think if they you know there's no doubt right now he'd be the most popular athlete in LSU history and 20 years from now, he's still going to be the most popular. That dude. Shaq, Shaq or Joe Burrow? Shaq he, or Joe Burrow? Joe, Joe just did some special things. I he know, just had, I he know. just had to flare about him. Even my most diehard fans of other schools still respected Joe. My guys that don't give credit to nobody for nothing, they root for one college SEC team and the other 13, no credit. 
Um, they still respected Joe, you know, even when he pointed his, you know, at his finger to give him a ring. Nobody ripped Joe for that, you know. Okay. Joe smoked in the locker room. Everybody thought it was cool. That's how good Joe was. We just, he just, he just circumvented the hate, you know. Yeah. He just had that kind of season, that kind of deal. So it's hard to follow that guy alone, you know. He, you know, even if he had everybody back. So it's not a situation I'd necessarily want to be in. Um, but at the same time, he's getting a chance to, you know, start at LSU. So life's not too bad. No, it's going to be okay, I think, for Miles Brennan. And since we're surveying sort of the grad uh, draft eligible landscape where it comes to LSU, we certainly want to do the same where Alabama is concerned. Najee Harris, as BamaOnline.com reported here in the last 24 hours, has in fact decided to return for his senior season at the running back position. Uh, you've been all over that story. I know Charlie Potter of our staff has been on top of that story as well. If you've been on the roundtable at BamaOnline.com, you've certainly been kept abreast of how that situation was trending. Uh, and now with it finalized, let's inventory, Tim, this group of returnees from the draft-eligible perspective – and look, maybe the domino tweet, maybe the domino tweet wasn't all that far off after all in retrospect, Tim. I just think, <laughs> yeah, I don't, I think that they probably, um, I don't know, I don't know for sure what they were thinking, but when you give people the that kind of everybody's coming back and that's what they focused on. Everybody's coming back. And me and you were like, you know, we had people writing stories and me and you were like, they are not all coming back. No one's ever, no one's ever all came back. And we're talking about, you know, multi, you know, top first round picks and the number one safety on the board and top five quarterbacks. And, you know, Jedrick Wilson could be the first offensive tackle. We're talking about guys like Judy. I mean, these are, we're talking a lot of money. And we're not talking about guys on the board or so, but if you'd have told me to start the season or you, if we'd have said, Alabama's going to do this, this, and this, and they're going to return Alex Leatherwood. We just said, no way. Dylan Moses, no way. You know, we're right out of the gate saying no way. And Najee, for sure, would have been no way. Me and you would have been, nah, nah, that's not happening. So Alabama got, I mean, they got 80% of their offensive line back when they could have just ended up, they could have had just 20% back. That's huge. They got Najee. The new quarterback's going to walk into 80% of that offensive line back, some talented guys behind that offensive line, and he's going to have – Smith and Waddle, along with Najee Harris, not to mention Trey Sanders. So, and guys coming in, uh, I don't think you could ask for more for, for, for a first-year quarterback. Knowing how to speak and understand a new language can be an invaluable tool when traveling, meeting new friends, or just even to master a new skill. But it's not always simple when you're bogged down by textbooks and structure classes. That's why so many people trust Rosetta Stone. Rosetta Stone is the most trusted language learning program available on desktop or as an app. It truly immerses you in the language you want to learn, like Spanish, French, Italian, Chinese, and more. You won't just be studying English translations. The Rosetta Stone intuitive process helps you pick up a language naturally, first with words, then phrases, then sentences. Don't put off learning that language. There's no better time than right now to get started. For a very limited time, listeners can get Rosetta Stone's lifetime membership for 50% off. Visit rosettastone.com rs10. That's 50% off unlimited access to 25 language courses for the rest of your life. Redeem your 50% off at rosettastone.com rs10 today. No, I don't think so either. Um... You know, and it's it's a crazy stat when you consider it. I'm working on a 
position thoughts piece at the quarterback position, which will drop later on this Thursday, around 2 o'clock this afternoon. You're going to find it on BamaOnline.com. You know, when you run down the list of quarterbacks who have started season openers for Alabama since 2014, uh, it's wild, man. I mean, when you get into, well, you had Blake Sims in, in 2014, Jake Coker 2015, it was actually Blake Barnett that started the 2016 opener against USC. As we know, Jalen took over from there. Jalen started the 2017 opener. Tua in 2018. And in 2020, it's going to be Mac Jones, Bryce Young, Talia Tonga, Vailoa, someone. But you're absolutely correct in that when you talk about a supporting cast, especially on the offensive side of the ball, uh, it's about as good as you could have hoped for to return your starting left tackle, to return a 1200 plus yard rusher in Najee Harris, to return a 1300 yard receiver in Devonte Smith to go along with another receiver kick returner type and Jalen Waddle, who accounted for seven touchdowns in the month of November alone. Yeah, I'd say that's a, that's a solid situation uh, for whoever's going to take over at this quarterback position coming up uh and you got to think too i mean this thing at quarterback tim nick saban has zero motivation to sort of tip his hand even if he comes out of the spring feeling strongly about one of these guys this is something similar to tua and jalen uh a couple years ago you're just gonna let it play out right into fall camp late into fall camp and right up into that season opener perhaps against usc yeah, I agree. And, you know, another thing is it's not just, you know, he is going to let it play out, but also I think these guys are going to do enough to give him pause. I think when he sits down and looks at the case for Mac Jones, he's going to do a lot on paper that's going to that's going to be uh, in the pro column. And same with Bryce Young, you know, and Talia is going to do some things. So you're going to have guys where he's going to have to, you know, he's going to have legitimate what do they do well. You know, right. you know, you, Mac's going to Mac's going to have strengths. He, you know, he's a thirty, 30 year guy. He's got starts in the SEC. Started at Auburn and did a fine job. And that's not a place that it's very easy to do a fine job down there. Um, great, great atmosphere. Great, you know, good defense this year. So um, there's going to be some guys. Uh, both of them are going to have things that work in their favor. And I think it will be a tough decision. I mean, you yeah. got, you know, you're not always willing to trust as much as the fans are. An old school coach, a true freshman lining up under center, you know, in Dallas against USC. You're not always willing to trust that guy as much as you got a guy that's seen that, you know, that safety or that linebacker dropping or that or that defense before. Yeah, I, I think Mac being able to get those four starts helped his case just yeah you know, immensely. And that's that's understating it probably because certainly in in, in terms of the, the, the court of public opinion Without those starts, the overwhelming expectation from the fan base, and there's already a, a strong surge of this, is that Bryce Young just walks in and takes over the job. Uh, but with what we did get to see from Mac, uh, and not just the, the fan base, I, I'm sure from a, a coaching staff perspective, it, it helped him a great deal too. Uh, it is considered to be, uh, or, or, or expected to be a, a competition that, as you said, it, it doesn't just encapsulate three spring scrimmages you're going to go into fall camp and get a couple of those scrimmages under your belt as well before you kind of make that determination for usc 
at Jerry World in early September. It is the T Watts and TR podcast here on the Built by Bama online podcast. If you haven't already, we'd appreciate you subscribing to the podcast. Certainly want you with us there at BamaOnline.com. Jump into the uh, deep into the pool there on the round table, the premium message board uh, at BOL and uh, get yourself surrounded by uh, the, the best fans in all of college athletic sports, really, in general. Hey, um, Tim, let's talk some NFL playoffs. We're talking some Najee Harris and his returning at, at the running back position. Uh, Going to have a pretty good Alabama running back in that AFC championship game in the form of Derrick Henry against the Kansas City Chiefs. Uh, on the NFC side of things, you're going to have Aaron Rodgers returning to his home state to take on his childhood favorite, the San Francisco 49ers. Who do you like in these conference championship games coming up this weekend, Tim? You know, I can't spell Tennessee short. They're a, they're a fantastic team. I really love what they did this year, sort of getting on that bandwagon late. But I like the Chiefs. I picked the Chiefs at the start of the playoffs and the start of the year to win the Super Bowl. Um, I love Andy Reid and what he does. I just think he's had some bad, you know, bad breaks and bad beats, and they've They've been through some injuries, and there's just so much to like when that offense. I mean, those guys, 99% of the teams in National Football League would have lost last week. That's a That was a big deficit against a pretty good football team in the Texans. And for them to walk that down before halftime, I mean, that just shows you that offense is at a next level, um, you know, with, with talent and creativity and the way they play together and um, – you know, that stuff. So I th- I like the Chiefs to win, although, again, you know, I have to acknowledge that Derrick Henry mm-hmm. and that defense they have can control the pace of the game. And the more Derrick Henry's on the field and the less Patrick Mahomes and Tyreek Hill and that offense is on the field, then, the you know, the better chance the Titans, uh, better chance the Titans have. Uh, I like the 49ers. I think Aaron Rodgers is hard to bet against a quarterback like that, especially in the playoffs and Really good team. I just don't think don't think they have enough to win in, in San Francisco. That front four for the 49ers is just fantastic, and it should be. You know, they got like four first round picks, I believe, on that uh, that defensive line. Just going to get a lot of pressure on him. And although the Raiders and Packers are improved, they really don't have the skill players that most of the league does. So actually, this game to me is going to be a little bit more defensive minded. To me, I'm expecting more defensive-minded than I would have thought to start the year. I just don't see the same level of skill players uh, in this game that I, you know, that I, that I've seen, you know, in most of the playoff games. Both these games rematches from the regular season. The Titans and the Chiefs in Nashville. That was one of perhaps the top three regular season games of the 2019 season. That was just everything you want in a in a football game um and so the titans were able to get the job done in that one at home i'm with you though it's tough for me with with the chiefs being right back in this situation and being right back in this situation at home seeing uh envisioning them allowing an opportunity to advance to uh, a super bowl for a second straight year go by the boards but you know, there are some teams, and, and regardless of the sport, once they get their role going, man, it, it's tough to deal with. And that is the Titans right now. You know, the Titans aren't fancy, but more importantly, the Titans know exactly who they are. And that starts with Derrick Henry and that run game. 
in a defense that we probably still don't talk about enough because, as you talked about, San Francisco's is so dominant and has been throughout the season. That's been really the identity of that Niners team as much as anything else. Um, but I'm, I'm going to go with the Chiefs on the AFC side, and I'm with you on the Niners probably because we did get to see these two already in the regular season. It wasn't pretty out in Santa Clara. Uh, I don't I don't think it'll be that decisive perhaps this time in the, in the favor of the Niners. But, uh, yeah, I, and I like the Niners' run game. I like that they're able to use an assortment of backs. Um, and and, and kind, of, kind of the Niners are the titans of the NFC, the way they're doing it. Uh, but, but you touched on something, too. Uh, cast of playmakers. You know, you still have to have a variety and assortment. Uh, and I, I think the Niners have more of that in what they do than what maybe the Titans have. Although AJ Brown has certainly been a nice addition to go along with Ryan Tannehill at the quarterback position. Yeah. Now we'll say the 49ers have a force of nature in their own and, and George Keitel, that dude, I mean, fifth round pick and, uh, Got a little bit of an ankle right now, so he's yeah, gonna that, be he's he, gonna be a little question mark. Yeah. But he, man, that's a guy's a game changer. I mean, you see no that. Doubt. You see that. You usually see that tight end more as a as a compliment to you know. You see like Travis Kelsey's fantastic, but he's a compliment in that offense. Kittle, Kittle, they know what's coming. <laughs> they, yeah. They know this guy's the feature guy, and you just can't stop him. Just a just an absolute monster. Doing tight ends proud all over the country and small school guys absolutely absolutely uh he is the uh he's the gronk uh, uh moving forward in the national football league it appears uh at that position and, and the titans you know again we go back to weapons and kind of making that comparison to the niners uh, they have they've had a pretty good tight end in years past in delaney walker uh, getting up there a little bit in age now and, and, and hasn't been able to stay on the field to sort of complement the rest of that Tennessee offense. Hey, it is the uh, we're getting close to Super Bowl uh, time of year. And that brings to mind one thing for me, Tim, and that's chicken wings. And so kind of as a, one of our random topics here on the T Watson TR podcast on this Thursday, uh, let's talk wings uh, sauce or rub. Do you like them wet or dry? Uh, do you like ranch or blue cheese or the veggies, the celery and carrots are, are requisite for your, your wing spread, Tim? Um, what about boneless versus traditional? Give us the perfect chicken wing in the mind of Tim Watts. I like a good spicy buffalo. I'm kind of playing that way. I forget there's so many flavors. My wife, she's more she's more attuned to the to the lemon pepper and the Cajuns and all that teriyaki and all that. I actually like them, but just never think to get them. Now, my oldest son, he'll, he'll get a different one, but the rest of us are just sort of straight down the mild. And, you know, my youngest son, great, and he eats them atomic hot. I mean, he eats them, and he's a tiny guy. He's, he's a guy sort of looks like the, the kid in Jerry Maguire. He's really smart, glasses, and, you know, he's got that uh, Stuart Little feel to him. And we'd sit in Buffalo Wild Wings, and he'd go atomic, you know, in that, that little <laughs> that little mouse voice, and that lady'd be like, "Oh, sweetie, I think you mean." And he's like atomic, and habanero. Uh, yeah. Oh, he yes, he gets them like, like, "How hot can we go?" We actually slowed him down because it turned into a competition. But me, I like them wet. I like them mild. I like them a good buffalo with a with mild for the most part. Um, 
as I get older, I find the hotter it gets, we I'm reintroduced to some of the hot things I eat at 2 a.m. in the morning with some good old acid reflux. I have to be careful. Uh, but my wet, uh, I, it's not a wing. It's a lump if it doesn't have a bone in it. I tell my kids yeah. that, boneless. I say, that's not a wing. That's a lump. That's a lump of chicken, and that is not even close to a wing. There's no such thing as a boneless chicken wing. That, if yeah. it's a chicken wing... It's got a bone in it. There has so, to be some part of the chicken that, skeleton in it to be a chicken wing. There, there's nothing. Be. There's nothing you can order with a bone in it that something boneless tastes better than. I guess is what I'm saying. The boneless chicken wings don't taste as good without a bone in them. Just like if you get a bone-in ribeye, right? A bone-in ribeye is better than a boneless ribeye. A, a, a center cut bone in pork chop is better than a boneless pork chop. The bone makes all the difference in the taste. So I, I don't, I don't get it with the boneless thing. There's no such thing to him as a boneless chicken wing. I think you're the person. I think that sort of tells you a lot about the person. Because if you're too lazy. Character I, issue? Character well, flaw? I mean, I think so. It's also like when you get all the wings and the one guy's just eating the legs. Yeah. He's skipping that. He has to work and break the and go flat. between bones yeah. and all that stuff. I notice those guys. That's why, you know, with the pile, and I'll be honest, I actually like the uh, the wing better than the leg. I don't, I mean, the leg is easy. That's like a, that's right. just like a, that's just like a, a stumpy chicken leg. You know what, what I mean? The other, you know, I like to work a little bit for the other ones, but yeah, I don't, I'm not a big fan of the, I get the boneless. And if I was driving and eating, I probably would go boneless, but um, I don't, I'm not going to pick up my wings and drive. I can wait till I get home to eat them. It's like real crab legs compared to uh, something else that's called crab. You know what I mean? Like processed crab, lump crab, processed meat. And did yeah, you see that Hooters has come out with these meatless chicken wings? They're not even boneless chicken wings. They're not even chicken. They're called plant-based wings that they're doing for vegetarians, I guess. I mean, why would you want that? I don't, I don't understand it. I mean, you can put all the different sauces on it and everything else, but a plant-based chicken wing, that's what you're getting at Hooters now. I guess it's in line with these fake burgers you can get now at Burger King. Was it called I the mean, Unbelievable Burger or something, the plant-based patties? I mean, don't even bother with it. If you don't want a burger, don't eat a burger. Don't it's eat an imitation salad. burger. I'm not gonna judge. Yeah, I'm not gonna judge you. No. But you don't yeah. need your you don't need your your your, your daily doses of vegetables yeah. in a hamburger patty size. You don't need it mashed up and mushed together and fried or whatever. You know, for me, wings salad. wings are 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 there's kind of some standards I've got for wings. First and foremost, the size of the wing, the freshness of the wing. I understand. That more often than not, if I get a restaurant grade chicken wing, it's going to have been previously frozen. I understand that, you know, but I I want a decent sized wing and I want a wing that hadn't been sitting in a freezer in a warehouse since, you know, two Super Bowls ago. That's that's kind of a first thing. And here's another thing. And I like my wings sauced and I and I and I love all kinds of sauces. I also am a ranch guy, not a blue cheese guy. I mean, blue cheese that that's the way they they figured out to to do something with with old milk, you know, spoiled milk. That's what that's what blue cheese is. But uh, the thing that I run into with wings that that is seemingly a difficult concept for some places to grasp 
is the application of the sauce. You know what I mean? Like it, it'll it'll be it'll be too much, uh, or it, there won't be enough coverage with the sauce. So I've gotten to the point where I'm sauce on the side guy, Tim. I just get my sauce on the side and then I apply it there at the table. I'm pretty picky about that. No, I agree with you. I think especially because you know everybody's got their own different ways. It's like when you go to Subway, if you ever get the guy mm-hmm. that puts so much mustard on it when you squeeze it, it shoots out of the end. That's how he likes his sandwich. I yeah. mean, if I'm making sandwiches all day at Subway, you're getting the Tim Watts special across the board. You're getting my amount of spicy mustard, my amount of mayonnaise, my amount of tomatoes. So, yeah, with the sauce, you don't know exactly who's putting it on, how thin it is, how thick it is. And it bothers me that you will get, you know, you'll get your wings and you'll open them there in the aluminum full or whatever, and you're coated with that buffalo sauce. And then you get them and there's no buffalo sauce around them. So, yeah, it's good. You never... I tell my kids, always ask for extra extra condiments, assuming you don't have enough. That little squallop of ketchup, it ain't costing them much money. That little extra side of buffalo sauce, it ain't costing much money, but it's going to irritate you if you're at home eating those dry wings and you wanted them wet. That much I can assure you. And, and more and more places, man. Remember how that ranch cup you'd get back in the day would be like a tub of ranch? Look how small that ranch cup is now, too. They, yeah. they, that that ranch that ranch they they it cost them some money man that ranch cup is getting smaller it's like a thimble of ranch you get now at a lot of places hey uh, Tim you ready to jump into the uh, T Watts and T R mailbag on this Thursday uh, I absolutely love the mailbag yeah let's do it um, mom there you go mom 1956 there on the round table. Asking about any movement, any potential movement that we're aware of where it relates to the coaching staff for the Alabama football program. Any rumblings at this point, Tim? You know, I think there's always talk. I mean, the one thing you can for sure count on every year is the Bo Davis discussion. Yep. That's coming, that's coming, that's coming every year. Um, also, it's to be expected with, you know, Bo having success at Alabama He's pretty much, you know, the fans love him. The best defensive line Alabama really had was under Bo Davis. The talent level Bo Davis has coached has been insane. He's coached some absolute monsters on that defensive line. So that rumor's out there. I mean, there's been nothing concrete. I mean, the thing, like, after the Michigan game, all these rumors came where Saban was firing everybody. And every junior was coming back. And all that, none of that was ever realistic. None of that was ever realistic. Saban's still trying to finish off a class. Uh, Alabama staff was on a break. At least the majority of them, as far as I know, was on a break while Nick Saban worked the national championship game in Atlanta. They had the weekend off. I think they came back in the middle of the week. I think he had, you know, people can speculate what Nick Saban is thinking, but nobody really knows what he's thinking. So I don't, I think the possibility of turnover in the coaching, whether it be a coach leaving for a better opportunity or Nick Saban, you know, somebody deciding to move on. Um, in another capacity, I think that you have to watch that possibility because it happens every year. There's never been a year with no coaching change. So just playing the percentages, I say yes, but there's no specific coaching changes I'm aware of as of right now. Gotcha. Uh, Next question. Where do you think Alabama stands early on for some of the key in-state recruits for the 2021 recruiting cycle, Tim? You know, I, I, I see that, like, Auburn's got a few guys and Alabama's on the crystal ball. And, you know, I like to say the listeners, that's not really a crystal ball. That's really just people guessing for the most part. 
it's not absolutely going to come true. Um, when they see that one crystal ball from that one random guy that I've never even heard of, and it starts the <laughs> the firestorm, the guy the guy picked him. Um, there's so much so much recruiting left to go. I mean, this time last year we discussed this on the podcast. It wasn't it was it was it was close to this time when Auburn had uh, uh, Quindarius Robinson and Demoy Kennedy committed. They had you know not too far away from Cohen being committed and and all those guys. There's so much recruiting to do. Commitments right now. Um, I wouldn't say they mean a lot unless these kids have taken visits because these guys finished their junior year. They haven't been the bell of the ball. They haven't really been the focus of recruiting. It's been the seniors. Now they finish their junior year and they've got everything coming up. They've got they got Alabama's A Day. They got Auburn's deal, Georgia's deal, G Day. They got all those places to take. They're just now starting to figure out who they like, what schools they like, because up to this point they've basically been at the mercy of their dad. You know what I mean? Like me and you, exactly. we, we were at the mercy of our father. Now, times have changed, obviously, with these kids having so many more options to follow sports. But I, I'm not sure I knew there was another team till I was 10. You know, at the time, I just knew my dad's teams. You know what I mean? I didn't know I could actually go find another team. So there's a lot, lot to go. I'm not worried at all um, that, you know, recruiting for 2021 hadn't even started. I mean, nothing's really even happening. Saber in relation to 2021, main needs sitting here in mid-January 2020, thinking about the 2021 class. Uh, position or two, Tim, that you think is going to be highlighted for that next cycle where Alabama is concerned? Well, you know, reading the tea leaves and the possible scenarios, I think quarterback could be incredibly important, just how things fall. I mean, you're looking at a situation where, hypothetical, you could have transfers depending on who wins this starting job. Um you know, you could see the quarterback room, you know, pretty thin, you know, with uh, with, with kids who could possibly transfer. They got a great one in Drake May. But, you know, we're seeing this in college sports now is you don't have time. Nobody's waiting their turn. If you're a talented quarterback, they're picking up and going. Mm-hmm. I mean, they are picking up and going and, you know, they're they're they're, they're going to get on the field. You sort of have to play your guy. And if you're an older guy, you're you know, you're transferring, trying to find that spot like Jalen did like Joe Burrow did. So the quarterback position, I think, in every cycle is going to be incredibly important. And, again, Alabama's got Drake May, and he's a fantastic prospect, one of my favorite in the 2021 class. Um, Offensive line, they're going to lose some really talented guys there. They're going to have to go a little bit deep. The last class, what this class is not super strong, although I really like uh, the, the Cohen kid, Alabama flip from Auburn. I think he's going to be a good prospect. And, some of those guys are those low-key interior linemen, but they'll have to go out and get some some bigger offensive tackles in that class. And then, you know, we're looking at, you know, wide receivers still, depending how they finish. I mean, they're, you know, they're going to lose next year's class. They're going to lose Smith, probably, you know, I don't want to say probably, possibly uh, Waddle. So you're yeah. going to be looking at the incoming freshman plus Michi. So wide receiver will definitely be important as well. Abrell, Bama. 58-18 on the roundtable is wondering why it is when an SEC team wins the national championship, other teams and head coaches go after their assistants, but when the ACC, specifically Clemson, wins the national championship, teams don't go after their assistant coaches. Inquiring minds want to know, well, I would narrow that down, actually, Abrell, to just even Alabama in the SEC because so far with LSU it's pretty much been Joe Brady. Now I guess there's still the possibility that Dave Aranda 
could end up in one of these head coaching jobs uh, as the the dominoes fall. But it's been more, I would say, Tim, an Alabama thing than an SEC in general thing. Um, And with with Clemson, uh, Jeff Scott, the offensive uh, assistant, is moving on to USF as the head coach. So there will be a little bit of turnover. Uh, But I'll tell you this, too, Tim, when I look at – when I look at um, Clemson's roster and its coaching roster, uh, you see kids of their coaches uh, on that roster. Dabo's got a kid or two on that team now. Brent Venable's son played Monday night at linebacker for Clemson, so uh, they got they got some pretty good roots that go beyond the the, the, the game itself. I'd say. Well, heck, when the uh, the big the big inside neck roll linebacker that you know you had to appreciate for Gasky, Clemson. Yeah. Yeah, when he went out, I was, I was even asking my buddy, I said, where do you get those? Like Antique Roadshow? Where do you find a neck brace? <laughs> you know, that kid's a heck of a football player, and it was unfortunate that, I mean, definitely he was targeted, but I don't. I think that was yeah. just the way he played the game. But you looked up who rolled in, but Venable's son. Yeah. And they've got everybody's son on on that team. They got Kirk Herbstreit's kids on it. They got everybody that ever played with Dabo has a, you know, has a kid on that team. So it's definitely – a family affair, and I think it helps them. I think a lot of people are more curious about uh, Venables because I know LSU scored six touchdowns, 600 yards, 40 points or whatever, 40-plus points on him, but that guy can coach. Yeah, he can. That guy can coach, and you saw him. Did you see anybody else shut LSU out for a quarter? I didn't. And then, you know, to get that team going, they were having to make great plays. He's a great coach. Why he doesn't have a head coaching job, I agree. I mean, I've talked to people that say – He's sort of not head coach material personality-wise. And, you know. I think Aranda's the same way. Yeah, Aranda. I just think, you know, with Aranda, like I was told, he just doesn't like to recruit. Yeah. And that's, you know, that's. And, not- and these are guys that are making two and a half to three million dollars a year now to, to coach defense. You very, know? very, very content to be what they are is is what I think works in the, their favor the most. But, um. You know, and, and and also when it comes, if you get a, you can have that guy who's that great coach and not be able to coach because he can't be the face of a program. So that could yeah. be the case with Venables. I mean, I, you see it every game, every year. Why hasn't Venables got a job? He's did a terrific job. He's his, you know, his on the field reputation is fantastic. Um, so I think that's the biggest question. But you know, the thing why they why do they come after Alabama, um, guys? Because they know that they went for the most part, they went from step one to step 10 on how to run a program. Billy Napier left Alabama's assistant coach knowing how to run a football program. Jeremy Pruitt, Kirby Smart, you know, you know, even a guy like Mel Tucker. I mean, I know you'll, he'll tell you he learned a lot as far as running a program from Nick Saban. And then, of course, from Kirby Smart, who learned it from Nick Saban. So I think what you're getting is you're getting a bigger product there that they understand recruiting is important. It's important to have a support staff, all that little stuff. I think you get the benefit of the doubt because that's not necessarily the case at other schools. I mean, every Alabama assistant is held to a certain standard. You know, at some schools, I mean, you have a coach who doesn't even recruit. That doesn't really happen at Alabama. You know, speaking of, you know, Aranda, who, you know, who'll get in on a few recruits every year. So um, I just think Alabama knows it's not their – they know how to run a football program. So I think when you get a guy, they're going to be organized and they're going to get that benefit of the doubt. And they've earned it. I mean, that just goes to Saban's reputation, in my opinion. And so many of these guys are just making too much money to to really leave. They're not going to make lateral moves. 
I mean, Dave Aranda is not going to leave LSU to be the defensive coordinator at Oklahoma. He's not going to leave LSU to be the head coach at a place like Hawaii. Hawaii just lost its head coach to Washington State, uh, Nick Rolovich. He's going to succeed Mike Leach and Pullman, who is, we know, now at Mississippi State. Well, Nick Rolovich, my understanding is, as the head coach at the University of Hawaii, Tim, he was making $600,000 a year as the head coach at a D1 program. And he is coaching in a town in Honolulu where the cost of living is at least twice as much as it is in Baton Rouge, Louisiana. So the motivation in most instances, even in terms of head coaching openings, isn't there for these guys. They, they, they don't have the motivation to make that jump like they did you know, it's a, you know, you know, 15, a, 20 years ago. You're talking like when you're comfortable, and you know this. I mean, we're old enough. We've had job opportunities elsewhere, and we could have went and did other stuff. When you're comfortable, like us working yeah. together, us working for Shannon, under Shannon, working with this company, we're comfortable. So you really got to shock and all us to get us to move. You yeah. know, we're not we're not going to risk you know to make 18 more percent than we make now, 13 more percent or whatever it is. We're not going to risk going somewhere and failing. When we can make what we make now and just keep cruising, I think Aranda, as you said, he's making a healthy living. He's yeah. making a good living. And, and, and LSU defense, I don't care. They're always going to have good. It's just like Alabama. They're yeah. always, no matter who the coach is, is going to have good defensive players because Louisiana is such a great state for talent. So you're going to go somewhere else, work five times as hard for a fifth of the money, and also uproot your family which I don't think fans and even media in some instances understand that aspect of it. There's still mama. There's still the kids. You know, you got to consider into all of that. Uh, yeah, it, there's, there's a lot more to it. And, and, and even at the, 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 the key bullet points that we hit on uh, that, that go into that stuff. Well, Tim, uh, I think we're good in the mailbag. I think we're good here on a Thursday edition of T Watts and TR. Great stuff, as always. Got some recruiting coming up uh, in terms of visit weekends, Tim. So uh, constant information available to you, especially there first and foremost at the roundtable on BamaOnline.com. And uh, uh, still some newsy weeks coming up here for us, Tim. Yeah, I think it's going to be busy. I mean, I think Alabama's trying to figure out what targets to push for and figure out the numbers and where they're at and, and you know, just sort of regroup and this is this is what you expect from them every year. You don't expect a lot of rushing and and uh, making you know quick decision or emotional decision. I think Saban's really good about piecing his season together quarter by quarter or graph by graph, coming up with a plan and, and you know sitting down. He's probably meeting with uh, his staff to some degree. I mean I know he's meeting with his players and discussing their future and you know all that kind of stuff. So I still think we're going to see some uh, a lot of things shaking out. Um, on the recruiting trail, and even with the coaches. I mean, you never know. At this stage, you don't know who's going to get an offer. You don't know. I mean, you know, a, a guy could come and get an NFL offer in a heartbeat that he wants to be in the pros, you know, or a guy could get uh, something could fall through. You know, Dan Enos could flee in the middle of the night, and there'd be another job opening. So a um, lot of football left. It never really ends, which is beautiful. And don't forget the basketball team. They're going to be fun oh, to yeah. watch, fun to cover. It's interesting. Alabama fans are going to have something to cheer for after the signing period's over, which isn't always the case. 
and then before you know it, we're going to be right into spring football practice. We're going to be into that quarterback. I'm so uh, excited. I'm so excited. I am. I'm so excited to see the quarterback battle, the running back battle, the wide receiver. Who's going to step up as the third wide receiver? Who's going to be playing on that front seven? Which freshman's going to jump in there? Will Reichard healthy? I'm excited for the first. You know, we get sort of numb to this. We've been doing it so long. You know, you and I, and we get numb. It becomes sort of business-like. But I'm actually excited about this A-Day game. I'm excited. I, about, I'm excited about what we're going to see. The, I love the uncertainty of it. I love the uncertainty sure. of it. And I think I think Nick Saban even enjoys that part of it. You know, especially when you're rolling from generational type group to generational type group, which is what he well, seems to be doing on a on a pretty annual basis here in Tuscaloosa. I feel, no, I feel like red on that bus <laughs> going to meet Andy Dufresne. I hope work you know, on the boat. Yes. I want to see what Andy's working on. I want to see what coach Saban is putting together. Yeah. Yeah. And Nick, it seems like it's always got that, uh, uh, that, 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 uh, that situation going, uh, when it comes to keeping the fan base engaged and, uh, certainly, keeping Alabama relevant to the college football playoff. You, I mean, I mean, Alabama's looking at a preseason top five. I mean, real quick. I mean, when you're looking at the preseason top five next year, I mean, you, 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 obviously you include Clemson and Ohio state at one and two, but where does Alabama fall after that? I mean, you know, they're right there at three, in my opinion. Yeah. I mean, yeah, with, guys, I with guys coming back and the uncertainty around everything else and, the only uh, difference really is the quarterback situation and the ACC affiliation for Clemson. I mean, that's that's the the number one key built in for any team in college football is the understanding that Clemson is in the league that it's in. And when you talk about schedules for next season already, Tim, Clemson goes to Notre Dame in early November. Other than that, Clemson you know, with Trevor Lawrence back and regardless of how some of this draft eligible stuff plays out in the next few days, Clemson absolutely should be there again. No, um, absolutely. You know, Oklahoma, yeah. Oklahoma should absolutely be there again. They're going to have the big 12 to contend with. And when you play in that and you get the luxury of able to lose one of those games, I mean, cause that was lost games in the ACC and still made it. Yeah. So when you get the luxury of doing that, I mean, you know, it must be it's, nice, it's, you know, it, it is. Be, and that's the thing with Dabo where he's getting so defensive about nobody's saying Clemson's not good. Dude, we're just saying everybody else sucks in that conference. <laughs> we know you're good, dude. You can he knows to, it. Yeah, he you knows can, it. He can come to the SEC and compete. There's yeah. no doubt about it. He could come compete. They're a very, very talented team. They're not the running the table. Not no, running the table not, every not year. Every year. You're, not, you're not winning 30 in a row, but you could come and compete. But, yeah. um, I mean, there's there, the ACC, and and I think they'll get better. I mean, the the Florida State made a got a real coach step in the right direction, and Mac don't sleep on Mac Brown, dude. That <laughs> that guy that guy can coach him up now. If he gets some talent, he's got a young freshman. He'll be a sophomore yet next year. That's fantastic. And as we get out of here, we are actually learning on the recording of this podcast from our own website. That's always cool, right? When you're doing a pod. Uh, for the Built by Bama Online podcast, and you see on Bama Online that Scooby Carter, the uh, second-year corner, uh, has apparently removed his name from the transfer portal, Tim, and uh, all signs point to 
uh, Scooby Carter, the corner, being yeah, a part of this uh, Alabama team. And we, you know, we reported that back in December. That's where he was leaning. He's got people that want him here. Emotional guy. Uh, you know, a lot of these, you know, a lot of these kids, uh, uh, especially from Texas. I've got this, you know, I've got the theory that those kids grew up such such unrealistic history, uh, heroes in Texas at the time. They're playing little league football. That by the time they get to a college, their their expectations are really unrealistic. Um, but Scooby was, you know, has been back in the, you know, back in the portal, out of the portal, back in the portal. In December, we had two sources that said he wanted to come back. Saban, Saban's okay with him coming back. He's an extremely talented kid, extremely talented, um, with obviously some maturity issues. And you know, this is another guy where Alabama's had to deal with those maturity issues. And you saw that I've touched on it, you know, dozens of times and I will, you know, you know, for the rest of their careers. But this class they brought in, they avoided a lot of those issues. And I think that's a reason because this portal, you can't have a guy that if you say, hey, you know, you're not having a good day. You can't have him run into the locker room and hit the portal. You know, you know, you can't have that. I mean, it's just especially with the 85 and trying to crunch these numbers. And we're seeing Georgia's in sort of a pickle with their number situation and. You know, all that kind of stuff. So, yeah, Scooby Carr is a talented guy. No doubt. And uh, so there you go. That's a wrap for a Thursday edition of T. Watts and TR here on the Built by Bama online podcast. For Tim Watts, Travis Schreier, thanking you for joining us once again. Until next week, have a great weekend, everybody, and keep it locked to BamaOnline.com. Okay, picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can waste another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can conquer it. I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. Any road. The steeper, the better. Because my all-new Santa Fe is available with H-Track all-wheel drive, so I can hit the trail without a worry in the world. Heck, with three rows and best-in-class rear cargo space, I can pack the whole family in with all our gear. We've got available dual wireless charging for our phones so we'll never lose touch with civilization and we won't lose touch with the primordial power of Mother Earth. So which is it? Waste the weekend or do something a little more epic? And conquer it in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey.